Welcome to God's Glorious Grace, a podcast from Hope Church Harrogate, where we are asking the question, have we really understood the grace of God? We're taking a deep dive into Ephesians chapter 1, considering a phrase of that chapter in each episode, and asking first what it teaches us about God, and second, how that affects our lives, hopefully with a good dose of warmth and fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. The the danger is that if we don't know that we're accepted, then that lie will always come in. Oh, well, you need to do this. Otherwise, God might change his mind about you. Why is it that the unconditional love of God is so difficult for us to receive? I'm here again with my good friends Mark and Rachel, continuing this series through Ephesians chapter 1. We've got to verse 5, where we're combining two phrases together, in love he predestined us for adoption. And that's what we're going to be diving into both this session and the next one. Uh, So without further ado, shall we read uh, the first few verses of this great hymn of praise at the beginning of Ephesians to set the context for where it fits. Mark, I think you're reading for us this week. Okay, so we're reading again from the New International Version. Going to start at verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So the reason that we've decided to take these two phrases together, in love he predestined us, and for adoption is because you can't really isolate them. The reason for the predestined is the adoption. There is a flow that goes between them. And we're well aware, and we'll discuss now as we come on to what this shows us about God, of some of the pitfalls as we start to talk about this word predestined and the concept of predestination, that a lot of ink has been spilled over the years. A lot of late night conversations have been had. But the true understanding of the phrase is in the link and, in fact, the destination of adoption as sons, adoption to sonship. And, of course, there's a, an understanding here of the world that Paul's writing in. It's the sons that would inherit. Of course, in our world, if you're a daughter, you get to inherit, too. There's, there's no male preference here, I guess, in our understanding. It is adoption as children. And so we start in the first part of this conversation always asking, what does this show us about God? Friends, what does this show us about God? Well, I think for me, it is this uh, completeness of that sentence that's got these two parentheses. At the beginning, it says in love. And at the end, it says according to his good will, his good pleasure and his will. And um, so the, the context, or if you like, the atmosphere uh, of this first is just drenched in the love of God. So we we come back to the nature, the heart of the nature of God, which is love. 
yeah that that's utterly essential isn't it and uh is i mean what does this show is about god whenever you ask it about any part of the bible the answer is probably in there somewhere love isn't it it's like the child at sunday school for whom the answer is always jesus but we we must make it explicit in this verse because otherwise you can get lost in intellectual concepts and totally miss the fact mark as you say it's about love it's about his good pleasure and will and that's so helpful what would you comment rach well for me this phrase i think maybe because i just like intellectually chewing on things i get stuck in this phrase the predestination concept and i find it really interesting that my natural instinct is to ask what does this mean for me in my personal life and i i love what what mark and adam uh, have taught us and you know we we sort of learned that actually the question becomes what does this reveal about god rather than what does this reveal about my next week is a really important discipline because then we begin to be able to worship the God who is rather than the God who does stuff for me. Uh, and whenever I hit a, a, a thing of God's character that I struggle with, I try to find a story in scripture or an illustration of seeing God's character in action. And we were just having that conversation about, well, what does this phrase look like in, in relationship? Because that's what the Bible is. It's a, it's a series of showing who God is in relationship with people. And so whenever I see a phrase in the New Testament that says, this is who God is, I always go, well, what does that look like? And we were talking about it looking like Abraham. And Adam, you had some really interesting sort of parallels of, of pulling out that uh, that story of, of this phrase in action in Abraham. We see God's character in the story of Abraham. Yes, we do. It's very kind of you to say there were good comments there, Rachel. Thanks for the tee up. Uh <laughs> I'm trying to raise the expectation bar. It's really good. Be prepared to blow your mind. <laughs> oh, nothing like a bit of pressure, is there? <laughs> I was simply saying, as we're trying to find a picture where God chooses someone for something out of his own love, that Abraham is an excellent picture of that. Here's this man. He's just living in a particular place, nothing to distinguish him, although he's kind of successful. And God appears to him and chooses him and sets him on a course where his destination is set. You will be a blessing to every nation. Descendants are going to be a blessing to every nation. They're going to be greater than the grains of sand um, on the earth. There's in love, God appears to Abraham and sets the course of his life towards a destination um, simply because of his choice. And so you've got a picture there of this God who in love chooses for a purpose, for a destiny, uh, and that's kind of helpful because the life of Abraham's colourful, right? It's a, a roller coaster journey, and it isn't. You know, God has plotted out every moment for him, but there is something of God has chosen him for this great feat. And in fact, what's even more helpful is it goes beyond Abraham, right? It's your descendants will be a blessing to every nation. It, there's a there's a legacy aspect here too, which gets us out of this all being about me again to another level and puts the focus and the emphasis back onto the the eternal purposes of God to reveal his love to humanity, which is, as you were saying, Rachel, a really helpful and important aspect to what we're trying to do here is we've got to see God first, not ourselves. And it's no matter what we're reading, not just Ephesians chapter one, God first. We've got to know what does it say about God first? And I think therefore this story of Abraham's really helpful. I think you said a phrase that I I think was really helpful to me just listening to it now. The difference between destination and destiny, I think, is incredibly helpful to me 
Because when you're setting a destination, you're saying, you know, this is the thrust of your life is in this direction. Where when you say the word destiny, I see I see those sort of like, I have to accomplish these tasks. I have to do these things. This is exactly the very narrow path of my life. But when you say destination, I see this sort of like, this is this is the thrust of my life. It's going to go in this way and it may take a thousand paths to get there, but this is this is the direction that God is launching us in. And I think that's a really crucial difference here. You know, God has predestined us. He's calling us to this destination of adoption rather than these are the tick boxes that our life has to look like to be controlled by God. I think that's a really helpful way of looking at it. Yeah, so with Abraham and then with the children of Israel, you get exactly that 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 whole thing of destination uh, rather than destiny. And um, I was just flicking through to Deuteronomy 7, which picks up the whole uh, what God feels, and it actually follows into this whole thing of being a pre, um, predestination. So it says, you know, God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his treasured possession. There's the love of God. Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples, for you were the fewest. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept his promise or kept his oath that he swore to you. And what you said there about the deviations, both for Abraham, but also for the children of Israel, this is being written and spoken over them after they've been through the whole of 40 years going around uh, the, the wilderness when they could have crossed that wilderness in probably two weeks and got into the promised land. The whole thing of the golden calf that's gone on. Um, you, you think of the stories where their hearts were hardened and God just demonstrates his consistency of love because actually he's thinking about the journey. He's, he's taking them on the journey of revealing uh, his presence to them through to a, to a destination, to a destination. And this whole thing of um, that there's no sense in Israel or even in Abraham, who just appears, as Adam says, this this wealthy son of a wealthy man just appears. God cuts in and says, no, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest. Actually, there was it was only because I loved you that I chose you. Now, we find that quite a hard concept, don't we? Because we're, we're, we're achievement driven. We, we We want to receive acceptance and accolades for what we do. But God says, no, I, I'm conferring on you this enormous thing. For us, sonship. For them, it was nationhood. His nation, for Abraham, it was to be the father of faith, to, 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 to be through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Why? Why? Oh, just because he loved you. Mm. And, and so when we, we, when we focus on this being predestined, being chosen in him, it does come back to, and we mustn't belittle it, the love of God. Not because I had anything, not because I did anything before before I had even screwed up or before I, I hadn't screwed up. I, I, I was beloved in, in God. Yeah. Yes. And so hopefully, uh, listener, what you're hearing is uh, the overwhelming love of God for you. You're hearing something about yes. security um, in his yes. choice. Uh, but it's also it's not it's not that God is meticulously moving pieces around on a board every little step of the way. There's a destination. There's an end point that's set. That's really helpful. And um, I've just got the voice of my son in in my ear, even as we're talking about destination, like, are we nearly there yet? And it, there's that 
you know, that we he knows we're going somewhere, very excited to get there. Uh, and yet the journey to get there doesn't always feel like that you are at the place you're going to. And perhaps when we come into the second half of our conversation, we can drill a little bit more into how adoption lands now into our reality. I think there's a second part to what it shows us about God, which which we mustn't miss uh, and is a question that's often asked. And it's a common pitfall around this uh, phrase predestined and the understanding of predestination which we've already touched on in terms of talking about it being an end point, but it would be this idea of, well, if God has loved me and has chosen me for adoption, but not everyone believes what I believe and not everyone has encountered God to be a father like I have, does that mean he has created some other people who are predestined not to be adopted? And, uh, you know, there's lots of big theological phrases you can use for this double predestination predestined to damnation uh, would be some of them and I know I've had many a midnight conversation as a younger man when I actually could stay up till midnight uh, about these uh, concepts so anybody want to dive in and, and comment on does this show us that about God and why or why not well I think the stories that we've just highlighted Abraham and Israel breaks any thought that we might have that God is a controlling God. If God was a controlling God, there would have been no golden calf. There'd be no Hagar and Ishmael. And, and so we, we have to go back to what is revealed of the nature of God and, and not what is not revealed about the nature of God. And um, in fact, uh, Paul writes about we teach what has been uh, made known to us and given understanding by by the spirit. Um, so when when there's silence, we, we have to be careful that we don't colour in the silence, even with opposites to what has been said um, in one place. We, we mustn't colour in the opposite, but we we must must see that God is not a controlling God, because control is the opposite to love. We've just talked about love. Love is a, a free, freely given and a freely respond to. There's no coercion, no manipulation in love. Therefore, this, this doesn't speak to uh, a, a God who, who, is in, who is controlling, but works within our free will and our free choices and our personal responsibility before him um, so that we're not... Uh, we're not seeing God in, in that light because we're talking about the nature of God. Yeah, you're definitely right. We've got to be careful about arguments from silence, haven't we? Yes. Very careful. In all of life, arguments from silence are a dangerous thing to get into. Uh, but what I love about what you're saying, Mark, is we've got to understand, again, the nature of God and his love. And I know when I've been talking about this, people are like, well, the logic is if he's made some people and predestined them to be to be saved, to be with him, to be his children, and he's made some other people, then surely those other people have been made not to be with him. And they're, they're bringing in this, this logical, um, I guess, progression. But the challenge with that logic is that very logical step also requires an unlogical step of saying, but that is against everything that we've understood about God and that God has revealed of himself, yes. that he's a God who so loves the world, uh, that he's a God who's faithful, who whose love and kindness is revealed in Jesus, who saves us because of his mercy. 
that who's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. You know, all these things that we know about God that have been revealed to us to start making that logical step that he's created some people to to judge and to punish would undo everything that we've understood of God. And so almost that step of logic requires a step of unlogic. And that gives you a attention, which makes you go, this probably isn't a place I can stand in or a conclusion I can reach. Rachel, got anything to add? I think it, it just disconnects the word from the phrase. And I think, I think there's such significance in reading the whole phrase. And I think we can take a word and then focus on the word and then create theology around a word. And I, I love how, these words are embedded within a context that that is explained. When I when I think about this question, I often think about about how I feel like he has called all of us into adoption. Like that is his heart for humanity is for us to that is the path that he sets humanity on is saying, I want everyone to come find me. There are many times that I have set out for a location and not ended up there because I didn't. I made bad choices along the way and I, I didn't listen to my sat nav and I, I was supposed to be there, but I didn't get there. And I, I think there is, there's something about his heart that expresses God so loved the world that he has predestined us to get there. That, that launch of destination is calling everyone to his heart. And yet, and yet that it doesn't, it doesn't reveal about his heart that not everyone and chooses to enter into that destination. Uh, I think it's it, we can separate his heart from people's choices, and I, I for me, that's what I see. Yeah. yeah, and there's also, I mean, you talk about the context being so important. We've got to remember what's going on here. We've said in previous episodes, Paul is gushing here about the glorious grace that he's discovered in God. He's he's worshiping. He's waxing lyrical. He's you know exploding in praise. He's not trying to systematically explain theology. You know, he's he is careful about what he's writing, but he's also not double guessing himself of how other people are going to receive this. He is praising God. And when we do that, we're not worried about the things that we're not saying or the potential implications of things where his eyes are set on this truth and not on trying to communicate something else. And there are other parts of scripture you can go to where he does start to explore this issue. And thankfully, we're not doing a uh, podcast exposition of Romans 9 to 11 so we go on purpose uh, brilliant hey I've learned a lot about God in that conversation and, uh, <laughs> and I think therefore before we go any further we must have some halftime oranges yes okay so I have this game which is called taboo which you may know uh, where you have a card and it has a word on it that the person needs to get you to say, get the teammates to say, but there are certain words that they cannot say. So for instance, the first one is trying to get everyone to, to get, trying to get your team to say the word burnt offering. This is a Bible version, but you cannot say the word sacrifice, lamb, animal, altar, or kill. So it's a very complicated thing. So what I'm going to do is Mark, you're going to close your eyes and I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to hold up this card on our zoom call and Adam will then be able to see, because you've played Taboo before, haven't you, Adam? You and I have played this Bible Taboo before. We right? have played this one, this very one. So I'm not looking at it. I'm going to hold this up. You will try to do as many as you can within one minute. And Mark, your job is to close your eyes and just try to guess whatever he's trying to get you to say. Okay? Are you ready, Adam? Yes. Listen, Listeners at home, play along. You ready? If someone has to set a one-minute timer, we're just going to play this for the next three minutes. Ready? 
I have a one minute timer, but I'm ready. Well, I turned my phone off. All right, fine. We're just going to go for it. I'm focused on the, the task in hand. Try Okay, fine. Try to do five. Try to do five. Okay, All right, okay. ready? Play along at home. Ready, steady, go. Oh, you can't see. Okay. We've talked there? about this nation already today, Mark. God chose them. Israel. Yes. This man was rich. Everything went wrong. Job. Yeah. What? <laughs> this is, lift it up a bit, Rach. I can't see the bottom one. This is when you say something that is uh, a lie against the scriptures. Apology. Blasphemy. No. no. Um, it's when it's untrue. False. <laughs> That's one of the words I can't say. You would stop <laughs> someone for doing this. Sorry? False prophet. Oh, I can't say the word false. Stone them. You can you can pass if you want to give up. Stone them for pass. Oh, it's a good one. Heresy. Ah, oh. not Mark, not Adam, but the three of us. Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're in a Pentecostal church and someone said something you agreed with, you would shout. Amen. No, another one. Hallelujah. Telling you a story about what God had done in their life, you would shout. That's a good word. Oh, testify. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> there you go. I've never come across round this guy. Never come it. across this guy. <laughs> I love how you snuck your own name in there as well, Rachel. <laughs> Heresy. Heresy was the one I was trying to get you to guess. Heresy. Yeah. I just grabbed a chunk. I didn't know. Brilliant. I was trying to think Mark and Adam. I was kept saying Eve in my head, and I thought, no, that's a whole other story, and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what version is he reading? <laughs> and that's your halftime origin. <laughs> a major character in, in the Garden of Eden. Thanks very much, Rachel. Wow. My heart is racing. My competitive edge is uh, <laughs> overload. Um, wow. Okay. From there, seamlessly, let's move into Seamless. We can do another round if you feel like you need to compare yourself to Mark. I think for everyone's benefit, let's not do that right now. Fine. Uh, we're going to move smoothly into our second section. So we've got this phrase, which is in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And we're doing two parts on it. And we've, we've really focused on what the first half of this phrase um, is showing us about God in the first half of this episode. And now we're coming to the discipleship question of, so what does this mean for my life? How do I live with this grace that we've seen in God in my spheres of influence? And so uh, we've talked, I guess, about one of the obvious things, which would be, is my whole life plotted out therefore? And we, we've said, no, that's not the case. There's a, there's a destiny. Perhaps what we want to talk about in this one, because Really, we've got two episodes to talk about the application for adoption here, which I reckon we could do a heck of a lot more episodes about. And maybe we'll stick a, a bonus one in the end. But the grace of being adopted, this comes back to the, the rather annoying picture I had in my head at the end of the last one about my son asking, are we nearly there yet? If the destination is adoption, how that affects the now is really a question we're going to zoom in on. So. If the destination is adoption, we are adopted and it's going to be revealed, then that means that the destination is that I'm going to be accepted by God. 
And if I'm accepted by God and I know that that is the end result, that's the destination I'm going to arrive in, how will that affect how I live now if I know that acceptance is secure? That's a question, even though I didn't say it with the right intonation. If the destination is acceptance, how will that affect how I live now? What do you think? Well, I love this question because I think so often, as soon as you drop the word predestination in, then the question is, what does predestination mean for my life? But the, the question really is, what does it mean to be predestined for adoption? That's the question. And to be predestined to have that. My first reflection is that adoption is a process. And there's a there's a legal moment where you become adopted. But, but learning how to walk in adoption is a lifelong journey. And so I, I think I, I love that concept that, that it is not just a, a switch that you flick. You finally, you know, whoo, you made it in. And that is the end goal. Like a, um, like those fairy tale stories where, you know, the end of the story is, and they lived happily ever after. And I, I don't see that in, in the way I see scripture. I don't see it. it's like, Oh, you finally made it in, you dove in and now your life will be great. But there is a pro there is a process to get to the adoption moment and there is a process to walk that out that we're all on. We're all on a part of this journey of the adoption journey. And I, I find it fascinating. Yes. Yeah, so earlier this year, um, I was reading a book and it had this phrase, which I think is almost my phrase for the year, uh, which said we have to learn to be beloved children of God, which is picking up exactly what you're, you're saying there, Rachel. And I have to say it has really struck me that um, we, we, we have to learn how to be beloved children of God. And, it, and, and it's really irritated me as we've gone through the year to, to start to think about, well, why, why is it? Why is it that um, the unconditional love of God is so difficult for us to receive? Why is it that I smuggle in all the time performance into my relationship with God. It affects how I come to him when I failed and screwed up. I came to him once as a sinner outside of his grace, but now I come to him as a son, a beloved son, a beloved child of God. And um, it, it alters the whole uh, colour of repentance and confession. Because I'm coming as, as a son and uh, that, that whole sense of being uh, enwrapped uh, in the father's arms. You know, when your, your son comes to you and says, Dad, I've just kicked the football through the, uh, the window in the greenhouse. It, 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 it changes the nature. It's, it's, it's you, you, you love their honesty. You love their... Um, a transparency with you and, and and yes there may be because we're human a, a cross sigh or something but what what comes is the enwrapment of the arms uh, of love that the forgiveness flows uh, and so for me one of the big things of adoption uh, apart from learning to become this beloved son is i come to him always as his child and it alters that dynamic of sinfulness uh, and failure and so it frees me I am free to be me in the presence of a holy God because I've been adopted into 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 sonship um, 
and and so that's a real practical thing. I don't fear my father. I don't fear the backhand of an angry God. I I turn actually from from myself to him and where once there were fiery eyes of wrath and of judgment because of Jesus I turn to eyes of love I see passion in his eyes I see his hope for my future for my destination my destiny in his eyes so it affects that whole area for me yeah I think we have to quote J.I. Packer here that there's no way we can have this conversation without quote famous words that he wrote uh, which is if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Our understanding right. of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. And so what you're saying, Mark, like we have to learn how to be beloved children yeah. of God. There's, there is a learning process in this and and it is the very heart of the message and like if we're honest the church and even those of us who have uh, you know spoken and taught often church we've not always been brilliant at helping people grasp this um i was struck prepared for this and, and doing some other reading by the fact that you know we're Protestants, right? We we live in the light of the Reformation and all of the solas and all that sort of stuff and justification by faith. And Jesus has uh, acted as the saviour so that we have forgiveness for sins from God, who's the judge. And it's faith alone in Jesus that gets us that. And the reformers, they really got it. But I was reading a guy and he said, like that whole Reformation has left us with almost um, a psychological burden to repay the God who has forgiven us for our sin. And so we've understood God as judge, but not God as father. And when you get that balance wrong, what it means is you spend your whole life trying to repay a God who's, who's been kind to you um, because you've lost the relational aspect. It's become a transactional where kind Jesus, who's your buddy has rescued you from angry God. Uh, and, and if you get that wrong, then what you end up in is this, you know, we call it the Protestant work ethic, don't we? You know, you end up in this this hard work. I've got to prove myself. Grace will not make me lazy. I am thankful. And through gritted teeth, I'm going to do this, that and the other. And and he was I was reading this guy, Julian Adams, and he was tracing that out and saying, well, that's almost in the heart of capitalism. Like the whole way the world works is you've got to work hard to prove yourself. You've everything you you know, you've got to look after number one. And that hard work is required in that. But actually, if we get an understanding of God as our father, then suddenly what we get is, well, God has got it all for us and our job is simply to steward it. And we said grace means we don't have to work hard to repay God because we're his children and that's not the dynamic. And also we don't have to work hard to provide for ourselves because the grace of God means if we're here accepted as his children, then, then all we've got to do, we've got everything we need, we just have to steward it. That is a pretty revolutionary shift in our thinking yet i think back to all the times i've presented the gospel as i'm preaching i'm like i've never really done it like that i told people that they're sinners and they've got to repent and get right with god because of jesus haven't i and uh, so even the way we've taught and understood the gospel hasn't helped us in this area i think that's kind of what i'm saying when i was growing up not my parents didn't say this but sort of living in america world god helps those who help themselves was a phrase that was that definitely floated around but my reflection on this child dynamic, I think I, I find I think there is something. Ooh, I'm going to say this, and I may 
not like how I say it, but I think there's something godly that's in there because when we picture being a child, a child of God, for some reason, we always picture ourselves as being tiny children. And yet as we grow, we are still children of our parents. You know, we're 60 and you're still the child of your 80 year old parent. And I think childhood does change and grow and you can still be a child. And there's something as a child of that of older parents where you want to be a blessing to them and you want to be appreciated for what you bring to them. And there's a partnership that goes on that I think is really significant in this whole area. And so I think there is something of, of understanding that accepted, knowing that you're accepted is not necessarily passive. It's not always the baby mode. It, there is something that, that, longs in us to be a blessing to the father. You know, when I had, I had a me for a year, really bad mark. My husband had to carry me up to the toilet and hold me on the toilet and he had to bathe me. It was our first year of marriage. I got it on honeymoon. Our first year of marriage was my husband having to be full-time carer pretty much. And uh, he'd have to go to work and he'd set me up with food and I couldn't leave the bed. It was awful. Uh, and I found that really hard in relationship because I wanted to be a blessing to my husband. I wanted to be a partner. I wanted to be useful. And he would say, I, you know, you bring me joy just as you are. And that somehow wasn't enough. It wasn't about acceptance. It was about wanting to, to give as well. And I, I think sometimes uh, it's just useful to know that it is okay to have that desire, not out of a desire to repay God or to earn it, but there is something that bubbles up out of gratefulness that wants us to partner. And that's an okay part of your relationship with God. There's an important contrast there, isn't there? In that wanting to do something for your husband is because of the love. It's from love rather yes. than for love it's not motivated by the fear that oh if i if i just sit here he'll stop loving me like that fear of losing acceptance and losing love is is well it's a very strong motivator but a very unhealthy one but the the, the response to the, the gratitude that the overflow of what's in your heart the you know so hard work from love and an expression of love yes. is really healthy and right and correct but you're not working for love. You're working because of love in your life. And, yes. and so we have to, the, the danger is that if we don't know that we're accepted, then that lie will always come in. Oh, well, you need to do this. Otherwise God might change his mind about you. Or if he knew what you had done, or if, if he knows what you were thinking about doing, then no, no, accepted, done, dusted. That is the destination. He will accept me. And that the joy and thankfulness of that, that's what revolutionizes our actions in our lives and drives us back to what you were saying, Mark, at the beginning of this bit, to learn to be a beloved child of God. You know, we're not trying to learn it to be accepted. We're trying to learn it because we are accepted. And, and that sounds like just a subtle shift, but it's a total revolution in thought process and action and one that we go on correcting in our lives because we do live in a world that works for stuff rather than working from stuff. And I think that's yes. so important that how, and so how does this come to bear in our areas of life? Well, we, we need those around us to know that they don't have to be working for us, but from the quality of relationship that we have with them. Like that, that is totally countercultural in parenting and um, working with colleagues or having staff work for you. And that that's a kingdom environment you're setting. If you can help people understand that they're not working for acceptance or 
uh, for affirmation, but that you have it already. So I think that whole phrase, learning to be a beloved child, there is a there has to be an intentionality about it. Because of the way that I was brought up by loving parents who loved God, um, but in their own imperfections and in their own weaknesses, manifested behaviours and attitudes and, you know, having been up all night, things that perhaps did not reflect the heart of the father. Um, we've got to unlearn our what our natural if upbringing and our culture says about being a child-parent relationship to really understand, which is helpful going through the whole series on grace. I'm going to talk about adoption and what that really means in the next session. But but actually to, to unpick that, there's an intentionality. In, in fact, it, it should be one of our greatest explorations and adventures of putting this into practice. In fact, one of the reasons, uh, you know, having had six children, one of the things that you learn is actually sometimes kids test the boundaries to see whether you love them. How will you react? It, it, it's a strange, strange thing. I remember uh, a season uh, when we had four kids and we weren't, you know, we like atmosphere at home wasn't so great, but actually people would have my kids and say, they're just the most wonderful children. And we were going, how, well, why is that? Why can't that be at home? Well, actually, they felt so safe with us. They could be just a little wild at times. And actually, it was it was pushing the boundary of that. And I'm not advocating that we press into sin so that grace would abound. We don't want to go anywhere near there. But actually, we are in that freedom to explore what does it mean? What's it, how can I unlearn some of the things I learned in my childhood and in my culture that is completely distinct from having a, a, a God as my father, the holy God, who is perfect in every way, whose expression of love comes with no taints, no weakness or no need in his heart, as it were, uh, towards us. It, it's, it's fascinating, but I think it is life transforming. It is life transforming. This isn't a doctrine just to understand. It is it's a heart to be changed, is my opinion. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> one thought, and then maybe we'll finish. And Rachel, you could pray for us as we tend to finish these times. I've preached recently on injustice and just been struck by the importance of praying that God would change our thinking. And so sometimes we can talk about, oh, we need to learn this. And we think, oh, what well, that means I need to do is I need to read a load of books and run through some exercises and work really hard and critique myself. And there absolutely is a, an essence of learning within having our, our thinking transformed. But we also have a God who is able to transform our minds and transform our thinking, can change it in a moment. And so there's, there's that, that twin element to learning to live as beloved children. It's, yeah, learning and being proactive in it. But it's also being proactive in asking for help from the one who's created us to be like that. We can say, God, help me change my thinking. We can have our thoughts renewed by the power of his word. We, he gives us the mind of Christ. You know, there's plenty of stuff we can draw. And I think it's so helpful just to throw that into the mix, too. This isn't a well, God has accepted you. Now you need to learn on your own to do this. This is he teaches you through experience, but he can also supernaturally intervene. Um, yes. And he's bringing about a harvest in your life of the fruit of the spirit which enables you to love, uh, to live as a beloved child of God too. So, all right, man, that's 
That is an encouraging conversation about what this means for us in our lives uh, and some very practical things, too, in terms of learning and how we do that learning and what it means. Uh, perhaps some of the things we need to unlearn from our culture. I hope that's been helpful for you as you're listening. Uh, we always finish by praying because God answers prayer. He's the one who helps us. This isn't an endeavor we're in on his on our own. He is the God of glorious grace. And we're looking for that grace to work out in our lives. So, Rachel, could you pray for us as we come into land, please? Absolutely. God, I thank you that you, your thoughts tend towards us, that you think of us and you have thought of us before the beginning of time. We were in your heart and on your mind. Thank you that you have set a destination that is straight towards you. And God, I pray as we go forward this week that you would remind us that you would put your finger on places where we are not acting out of acceptance of knowing that we are accepted, that you would just pause us for a moment and say, I am better than that Mm -hmm. to us, that you would pause us for a moment and say, there's more freedom than that, that you would just, just cause these moments of pause that we may, that we may discover how to walk in this acceptance of the adoption that you have called us into that every moment of our ordinary boring bits of life may be filled with moments of, of understanding and joy of your acceptance, love, and treasuring of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, amen. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Wow, what a session, what an episode. Thanks for joining us. Next week, we are doing part two of this phrase, zoning in some more on what it means to be adopted as sons, as children of God through Jesus Christ, which is the destination he set for us, as we've seen today. We'd love for you to join us. One way to be sure that you'll join us or to help you join us is to hit subscribe to this podcast. Uh, Please also, if you think it would encourage your friends or help anyone you know, send them a link, help them to listen to. If you want to leave us a review, that helps us with visibility too, which you can do on your podcast system of choice. But until then, we will leave you to grow and learn into what it is to be a beloved child of God. And we will see you next time out. Bye now. Bye. Bye.